0: Hello, welcome to the LifeBridge podcast. We exist to practice the way of Jesus, participating in God's kingdom coming in Dover as it is in heaven. My name is Tyler Saldana and I'm the pastor of our church community. We are so grateful that you're checking out our church's podcast. We pray that the Spirit uses this podcast to encourage you in your following of Jesus. We're going to be in Mark 10 this morning, Mark 10, uh, verse 17 through 31, and if you're familiar with the story, or if you're unfamiliar with the story, um, commonly referred to as the rich young ruler, uh, though he's not called that in this specific passage, but I'm going to read the passage for us, I'll pray, and then we'll begin uh, talking through the message this morning. So, Mark writes in verse 17, as he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, "'Teacher, I have kept all these things since my youth.' Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, "'You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me.' When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions." Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age. Houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time. Uh, We ask, God, that uh, you would speak to us, that you would encourage our hearts, challenge our, our minds. Call us to, to refined thinking and, and feeling and, and actions uh, as we seek to follow you, Jesus, in this, um, in this county, in this state, in this country, in this world. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, in this morning's passage, so Jesus addresses three types of people, three different people, but um, we'll, we'll kind of try to broadly apply them to us. There's a man we'll refer to, yes, as the rich young ruler. Uh, his disciple Peter, and then his disciples as a whole. Uh, And so regardless of our income, our, you know, retirement funds or portfolio, our credit score, or perhaps maybe for a lot of us our debt and lack thereof retirement, who knows where we're at, um, or anywhere in between, Jesus's words in Mark 10 speak to all of us. So don't just think, oh, he's speaking to rich people only here. There is Um, some depth beneath the surface that we can all take to heart. So before we begin, I'll just lay out my three points, give you my cards, and then we'll walk through them. Uh, Jesus calls each of us to go and sell all we have and to come and follow him. Uh, Point two will be we are incapable of doing so. And point three, Jesus is the true rich young ruler. The first point. Jesus calls each of us to go sell all we have and to come follow him. Let's start in verse 17, and we'll just walk through this passage. So, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man runs up to him, kneels before him, asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? At this point in Mark's gospel, uh, Jesus is already on his way towards the cross. He's, he's getting pretty close. Um... He'll soon make his triumphant entry into the city, riding not on a horse, not on this beautiful ride, um, but no, he'll, he'll ride in on a, hung, a humble donkey. And he won't be honored, but he'll be betrayed. And where he will not hold onto the rights he of all people is entitled to, but instead he will ultimately forfeit his rights uh, for the sake of God and to bear the punishment of a criminal dying on a cross so it's at this point that this rich young ruler comes and approaches him and yes we don't hear that he is a young ruler in this story here in mark but we know from matthew and luke's account that they kind of each have the descriptive verses and we combine them all and so we're like okay he's rich young ruler but um, the man asks jesus good teacher what must i do to inherit eternal life Now, one of the commentators I utilize, this guy's name is uh, James R. Edwards. He says that the man's question reveals his understanding, that he believes our behavior to be the deciding factor of our eternal destiny. And notice the motivation behind the question, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus doesn't um, directly respond to him. in, in the way, in the manner in which he would like, so we'll get to that more in a, more in a moment. So to clarify though, when Mark uses the phrase eternal life, uh, we kind of paint this um, understanding of eternal life as this bliss of everlasting life, and that's kind of it. We're up in the clouds in, heavenly, uh, in a heavenly place, um, but that's not what Mark means by this. Uh, eternal life Uh, We can utilize the same as being saved or the kingdom of God. Craig S. Keener, he's a big New Testament background theologian. He's a big historian in the ancient Near East. He he defines eternal life as such. Uh, To inherit eternal life meant to share in the life of the coming world. The life of the kingdom of God. Another way that it was put is that there's this inheritance in heaven or you're storing up for yourself something in heaven. Similarly, we, we store up our Uh, funds in our bank account yes but we don't keep our money in our bank account we save it for a future time to use it back in this life similarly we are storing up for ourselves in heaven when to then uh, utilize it again when kingdom is fully manifested here on earth as it is in heaven there is this reward there's this overlap that comes in and it is setting us up to inherit this eternal life to share in the coming kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven And so Jesus responds in verse 18, he says to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. Again, according to Edwards, Jesus' unexpected counter question intends to move the man beyond confidence in his moral rectitude to the ultimate purpose of his life, which is to know God. Um, Parents or anyone that's worked with young people before, you might be familiar with this situation. I know uh, a few years ago, we encountered this quite a bit with, well, the only kid we had a few years ago, uh, our, our now college daughter, but, um, you know, as she was becoming more independent and, and asking often to go out or um, for new privileges and things of that sort, um, she potentially would ask for some things that we were like, no, probably not, or no, we're not, we're not down with that, or maybe next time or something like that, and she She'd step up her game, she'd try and justify, she'd push back a little, right, like, but why? Like, I'm, I'm, I don't do this, I don't do that, I'm not like this person, I didn't rob a bank, uh, I didn't kill anyone, I'm not like my friends, and our initial response is, hold up, what's up with your friends? Are they robbing banks and killing people? Um, but our second response is, you're being a little dramatic, but it is this, well, at least I'm not like them, so here's my case. Therefore, I should be able to do this, uh, but we have to say, yeah, hold up, easy. Let's take a few steps back. Let's recalibrate. Reminder of the situation. Make sure she understands what's going on, where we're actually at. That Let's, let's get out of these extreme uh, examples. And that's what Jesus is doing here with this young man. He's telling the rich young ruler, hold on. He's purposefully humbling the man by raising the man's bar or standard of goodness. And so in verse 19, that's why Jesus recounts uh, only six of the commandments. I won't get into why he only utilizes six. There's there's quite a few different theories. It is kind of interesting, but we don't need to go there. Then in verse 20, the the rich young ruler responds to him. He said to him, teacher, I've kept all these since my youth. This is pretty common for a pious, young Jewish man, uh, especially someone of a wealthy class. They may have uh, live this morally upright life. Uh, think of us who perhaps maybe you grew up in a Christian church and Christian household and did the Christian life and your Christian duties and, and so forth. And um, yeah, just overall, if people looked at you, you'd think, oh yeah, they're a decent, a morally good person. That's kind of what's going on here. He's saying, well, I've done all that. Aren't I, aren't I good? Well, notice in verse 21 here. Well, notice also, sorry, Prior, he, he adjusts a little bit to Jesus. He doesn't call him good teacher again. He calls him teacher. I like that he adjusted a little bit there. But keep going in verse 21. Jesus looking at him, and I love this. Mark says, loved him. So he looks at him. He loves him. And he says this to him. This is in love. He tells him, <clears throat> you lack one thing. You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and what you will have uh, sorry, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So first of all, notice Jesus has this genuine love for this young man. And for us too, our God has genuine love for each of us, and he sympathizes with us. I think of often with my toddler right now, right? We're in this phase, they call it the terrible twos, right? Um, and we've been learning a lot about just um, some neurology and, and, and psychology around the terrible twos, quote unquote, and um, you know, even the, even the term temper tantrum, right? They're throwing a temper tantrum. Uh, the reality is so a lot of more recent research tells us that the tantrum is actually more throwing them, that they don't actually know, they can't understand what is happening, their emotions, the kettle, the temperature of their body is heating up and they don't know what to do and so they're reacting just because that's what's happening to them. Us who are adults, if we've grown up and we've grown up and uh, formed, were formed in a a healthy um, household or setting, we've learned to respond and uh, regulate those emotions, but they're still figuring that out, but so often, It can be so frustrating but then at the same time so sad when i'm like why are you weeping over this little thing when like i have something so much better planned like we're going over here or we're we're doing this or but you're so fixated on this and that's kind of what's happening here that our god he's telling he has this love for this rich young ruler this sympathy for him that man you are fixated on something Oh, something that is so, you're so missing it. And if you're familiar with C.S. Lewis, uh, Lewis has a great analogy, a story of this, that we, get, um, we can get captivated, we are like little kids, captivated making mud, uh, castles in the mud, when we are um, denying a chance to go to a holiday or a vacation at the sea or Florida. Um, some of you like that, some of you don't, right, Morgan? Um, I'm joking. <laughs> Sorry, Morgan told me this morning. Um, but yes, so we get caught up in this little, we are so caught up in our little like this, and Jesus is like, little child, you don't get it, there's so much more. And that's kind of what's happening here. He, uh, God understands our hearts better than we do. He sees what's, what the rich young ruler is trying to do. He sees how he's trying to manipulate and justify himself in this situation uh, before Jesus. And similarly, God sees and intimately knows each of us. How we attempt to plead our case before God. But God lovingly says, hold up, that's enough. Jesus tells the rich young ruler, you lack one thing. Or in some translations, I think the NLT says, there's still one thing you haven't done. Are we... Familiar with, I, I would think, but uh, I, in my time here, my short time here, I've learned I, I'm from a different culture. Are we familiar with the band U2? Uh, yes. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to utilize um, one of their songs, the band U2. Uh, if we're familiar, uh, you know, one of their songs from the Joshua Tree, a popular song that's often referenced, um, called I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Uh, you know, at this time, the story, you know, Aaron bought me recently Bono's um, memoir, and I was just glancing through it a bit, but uh, he's recounting the story of from being young um, musicians in a war-torn Ireland and how they rose to crazy fame. And they were striving for this bigger picture, um, this bigger life, this bigger reality, and they were so excited. Everywhere they went was a new big thing. They went to the States. Then there's, even on a recent album for YouTube, I'm a huge YouTube fan, um, they have a song called California when they finally hit the West Coast and they're going to go see the California beaches and they'd never seen the Pacific Ocean and how magnificent it was for him to just dip his toes in the sand there and all this. And, but every time, every new venture, every new chapter, it was still, uh, still left him Thirsty or hungry, right? And so if you're familiar with the song, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, each verse has Bono walking through life. You know, I've done this, I've done this, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I've kissed honey lips, felt the healing in her fingertips, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Uh, but then he even comes to, if you're familiar, um, you know, the guys of you 2 are Jesus followers, and he even says in the third verse, the culmination of this song, he says, I, you know, I, um, I believe in the kingdom come, then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one, but yes, I'm still running. Uh, you broke the bonds and you, you loose the chains, you carried the cross of my shame, oh my shame, you know I believe it. But then he still sings, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I think for Jesus followers, sometimes we're like, wait, he has found what he's looking for, right? He found Jesus. Um, But I think there's something honest to um, non-Christian music rock stars, to secular music rock stars who are Jesus followers. That he feels more free to own that, man, even for us who are in Christ, we still have days, weeks, months, seasons where we know we have them we still keep searching for something else, right? We kind of have a foot in the kingdom and a foot on this earth, and sometimes we're like, let's, let's keep looking this way. And God's like, no, look this way. Continue to follow me. And I think that's the struggle. And he even summarized that now, it's over three decades later, that it's his modern telling of John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress, um, which he felt was more real, that for him personally, that even as I found Christ, I still wonder sometimes I still you know even for me this week I, I had a pretty rough week and and I I felt that this week and so I think there's something there that the lacking the feeling empty perhaps you're a Jesus follower and you're like man I still feel empty I have Jesus I have done this and I still feel empty there's still something here that Jesus can speak to more on that in a moment Jesus tells him the the rich young ruler There's still one thing you haven't done. He tells him, go sell all he owns. Give the money to those in need and to come follow him. But why? Now, note, it's not inherently bad to be wealthy. Money is not inherently bad. Riches, stuff is not inherently bad. So why is Jesus demanding this of this man? of Of seemingly good character, right? He seems to be an upstanding citizen. Why is he calling him to sell everything? Tim Keller in his book that went through the Gospel of Mark, which I believe is what the small group series is going to be based around on Wednesday nights, he writes, It is not that all individual rich people are bad, nor are all individual poor people good. Jesus did not make such blanket assertions. Nor, on the other hand, was he saying, just be careful. Don't fall into greed and be generous from time to time. Now Jesus was saying that there is something radically wrong with all of us. But money has particular power to blind us to it. In fact, it has so much power to deceive us of our true spiritual state that we need a gracious, miraculous intervention from God to see it. The Apostle Paul, uh, in his letter to you know, his apprentice Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, he writes... For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This is a very misquoted passage. People often say the love of money is the root of all evil. No, all kinds of evil. But not all evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Why is it so uncomfortable for us to speak about money and add to that... Probably the big three, right? Money, sex, and politics in church, right? Perhaps it's an indicator of the power they might have on us as individuals, as a culture. The interesting thing is that Jesus talks more about money than sex, heaven, and hell combined. He talks about it a lot, so we should probably talk about it a lot because it has that potential grip on us. talks more about what we do with our wallet than what we do... With our private parts. It's a very interesting thing, and yet the church, we don't hear a lot of big calls to, hey, stop idolizing wealth and the good life. We don't hear a lot about that. There's a lot of other cultural wars that we stand on, but man, this is a big one that Jesus spends most of his time warning the world about. Each of us can relate with this man to one degree or another. We live... Um, Whether we live in a custom home with a nice property or we're struggling month to month to pay rent, the reality is that living at this point in human history, we are monetarily wealthy. Even those of us on on lower income here, generally, on a global setting, we are fairly wealthy, yes? Most Americans are some of the wealthiest people in the world. Most people in the West are some of the wealthiest people in the world. But note, it's not the money itself that is separating this man from God. It's what the money represents to this man. It's the power he feels with the money, the security, the comfort. Um, it's the self-righteousness he's accrued. Perhaps it's even the um, position he has in his social circles that he's the one who's able to buy when they go out to dinner or drinks or something, Right? Or he's the, he's the grandparent that's able to give more gifts than the other grandparents. And so on. Whatever that may be. Jesus says, despite following the law, he still lacks one thing. So Keller continues. He says, of course he was missing something. Because anyone who counts on what they are doing to get eternal life will find that, in spite of everything they've accomplished, there's an emptiness, an insecurity, a doubt. Something is bound to be missing. He still hasn't found what he was looking for. This is the economy of God's kingdom, though. Regardless of how much wealth or how many accomplishments we accrue in life, if we choose to stand on them alone before God instead of Jesus, we still lack one thing. In the Beatitudes, Jesus said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This this poverty is a is a spiritual poverty. It's a reali- it's a realization of our emptiness, our ineptitude apart from God. So it's not simply I don't have much money in my pocket or my bank account. No, it's it's much deeper than this. Realizing that I myself cannot be an independent um, functioning person but no i need god and i need his people i need his spirit so the question for us is do you realize your need for god do we realize this is there is there something we're looking to that you're looking to instead of jesus to satisfy your needs or to build your self-worth to make you feel comfortable secure stable whatever that may be to feel valuable Take a minute, reflect on that. Is there something, we always have these things. What is it that we're looking to in this moment instead of God for that, that to fill that void in our hearts? Now, monetary poverty is not the goal. An awareness of our spiritual poverty is. And I think that's what, what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus calls each of us to go and sell all we have and to come and follow him. However, point two, we are incapable of doing so. Looking at verse 22, how how does the rich young ruler respond to Jesus's demand? It says, when he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Now, this is the first point in this passage in Mark's account of this, that we hear that he's actually wealthy. Up until this point, we just kind of think he's another guy. But we learn, No, this is, a, this is a guy who is loaded, and he's pretty bummed out as to what this would entail. And then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus has, obviously has turned his attention to his disciples now, right? This shows that our wealth and our possessions can be a barrier between us and God. Right? That he's speaking not just to someone who isn't following yet, but now he's turning his attention to actual followers of Jesus. And he's war- turning the warning towards them. Verse 24, he says, And the disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, Utilizing the word children, I just kind of noticed this. That's kind of a, that should give us cause for pause, like why he is all of a sudden. It's kind of like when Rowan and I are playing around and, and she th- she, when I like joke with her, I'm like, no, don't do that. And, she, and then she goes and does it because she knows we're joking. But then when I finally have to be like, Rowan, and like the tone changes, right? There's just that one, one tone change. And she hears it, and it's like, okay, this is different now. That's kind of what I get from right here where he says, children. It's like, no, 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 listen. This is about you too. This is not just about him. Listen, because you will deal with this too. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Of God. Now, this is hyperbole. It's not meant to be taken literally. Um, if we're unfamiliar with hyperbolic statements, it's utilized exaggeration, right, to emphasize a point. So think, uh, it's raining cats and dogs. What does that emphasize? It's, it's raining crazy. I don't get why the cats and dogs. Um, not even sure where that came from. I'm sure someone might look that up and do a deep dive, but now I'm curious where that came from. But anyways... Um, Eli, don't text me about that right now. I know you will. Uh, I always get texts, like, I look at my text messages after church, and then I'm like, Eli, what were you doing texting me in the middle of the service? You said this. Um, Anyways, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse, right? Personally, I don't eat horse. I know Taco Bell served it for years, but, um, uh, illegally, but, uh, you know, I'm not down with eating horse. Uh, but no, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. What does it even mean? Just because it's a giant animal? I don't know. Anyways, these are figures of speech. And similarly, that's what Jesus is u- utilizing here. This this eye of, the, of uh, this camel entering through the eye of a needle. This was common in the ancient Near East. They would have been familiar with this in other cultures. I think it was an elephant because that was um, in like Babylonian area of, of the ancient Near East because that was their largest animal. But For them, in this context, a camel was the biggest animal they knew. Now that seems extreme, doesn't it? That Jesus is saying that it's all but impossible for people to enter God's kingdom if they don't give up anything that stands between them and God. It sounds extreme. Edwards, again, in his commentary, writes, anything that causes disciples to forget their poverty and childlikeness before God and that prevents them from following Jesus Christ, this too is a camel before the eye of a needle. I think Edwards rightly um, contextualizes this for us, that even for those of us who are not uh, monetarily wealthy, we are wealthy of in something, probably. We have wealth in some avenue of our life, something that in that category we don't rely on Christ for. That we say, yeah, I need your help over here. This, though, I'm good. I'm good with this. I got this. But no, I really need your help on these two areas of my spirituality right now. But no, this is pointing to, no, there's, there's nothing that we bring simply to the cross. We are to cling. As Rock of Ages, that old hymn, sings keeps going in verse 26 Mark writes they were greatly astounded and they said to one another then who can be saved seriously Jesus who can be saved this is ridiculous Jesus looked at them and said for mortals it is impossible but not for God for God all things are possible and Peter began to say to him look we have left everything and followed you we've literally done that Peter said we gave up everything. And Jesus responds in 29, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold excuse me, now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But here's where Jesus reminds Peter and the other disciples to be humble. In verse 31, But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Essentially, he's saying, yes, Peter, you you did this. You, You guys did do this. But be careful not to make that your boast. Be careful not to stand on that. Be careful not to be rich in your own sacrifice because... Your finite and momentary actions, uh, they don't make up for the separation that sin has caused, the chasm there. So, how do we know who we are in the story? How do you know who you are in the story? Are you the rich young ruler? Is it perhaps difficult for you to give? Or, um, not simply give, but to give sacrificially? You know, um, Tim Keller, in, a, in another um, or a ministerial type talk, where he's talking to, to leaders um, and church planters, he was talking about finances, and, and one of the things he mentioned was, you know, he doesn't himself uh, ascribe to the 10% rule of tithing, and and I don't necessarily think that's how it works anymore either. He he calls people to sacrificial giving, uh, meaning that it should hurt a little. Sacrifice should hurt a little. It should cause us to, you know, buy less couple copies, coffees a week, or, you know, a less vacation a year, or whatever that may be, everybody has it, but, you know, when the richest person in the world gives away a billion dollars, what does that actually do, right? It sounds like, oh my gosh, but is it really, did it do anything for them? That's where Jesus, and you see many accounts like this in the Gospels, where, uh, in particular, think of the gal who gives all her wealth, essentially, in that oil, and Jesus says... Uh, She has given more than all of you because she's given everything she's had. There is something to that, right, that we are giving in a manner that uh, it shows we are giving something up. It's an opportunity to give in that manner. It may not just be uh, monetarily, right? This is in various avenues of our life. This is speaking about finances, but this can be applied in many different avenues of our life. Perhaps are you Peter and the disciples? Do you feel more confident in your faith and relationship with God simply because you attend church and Bible study and tithes? Are you saying with Peter, but I, we did all this. You know, we did that. We did the Christian life. And Jesus is saying, children, listen up, hold up. That's, that's not what gets you in. So whether you're like the rich young ruler who lived a moral, loving life but finds hope in your wealth and accomplishments, or you're like Peter and the disciples who only miss church when you're on vacation and even then you might try and look up the closest church um, and you attend Bible studies and tithe and give to the poor, we are all still in spiritual poverty. Did you hear that? We are all still in spiritual poverty. We are incapable of selling all we have and following jesus on our own but but who can do this who is spiritually rich and that's where oftentimes what jesus calls us to in the gospels he himself will eventually or is in that moment fulfilling jesus is the true rich young ruler that's why paul wrote in second corinthians 8 9 he says for you know the generous act of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. Now, does that really mean um, monetarily, monetarily um, impoverished? Well, in this case, Jesus was known to be poor, right? He, he seemed to be a, maybe a lower working class man. But, even more so, Jesus emptied himself. I'm going to turn to uh, Philippians 2, a passage That we likely have heard many times, but here I think the Apostle Paul summarizes it well for us. Starting in verse 5, Paul writes, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, in the Messiah Jesus, right? He said, who though he was man, who, who though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited a.k.a. though he had every reason to boast, though he was wealthy in something, status, stature, he wasn't depending on it. He emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus became spiritually impoverished, right? He experienced total brokenness, total emptiness, that total feeling of not finding what we're looking for. The sad thing is, in that moment on the cross, Jesus knows exactly what he needs, and that's why he cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? But Jesus is this true rich young ruler who, though he is infinitely wealthy, chose not to be regarded as such, but rather to empty himself and take on our spiritual poverty that we might experience the infinite riches of knowing him. Now, Dallas Willard, he's, a, he's since passed, but he was a big um, philosopher at the University of Southern California and a big spiritual disciplines guy for the church. He wrote, the organized churches must become schools of spiritual discipline where Christians are taught how to own without treasuring in reference to Matthew 6.21. Where Jesus says, you know, store up, don't store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Or on earth, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Or how to possess without, like the rich young ruler, being possessed. I love that. How to possess things without being possessed. How to live simply, even frugally, though controlling great wealth and power. How to live simply, even frugally, though controlling, great wealth of power. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is better than our wealth. Monetary wealth, um, but social wealth, vocational wealth, academic wealth, familial wealth, and so on. Jesus is better than our momentary wealth. Jesus is better than our sacrifices, too. His sacrifice far surpassed ours. Now, if Jesus is our true rich young ruler, giving is no longer an obligation, but an opportunity, and no longer a burden, but a joy. for tuning in to the LifeBridge podcast. For more information about our church, please visit lifebridgedover.org. There you'll be able to find out more about the church community, our ministries, ways to get involved, recommended resources, and to give. Be sure to subscribe to receive new episodes directly into your podcast feed. While we are glad that you're checking out our podcast feed, we believe that the New Testament teaches that church worship is to be experienced weekly, in person, within your local church community. Thus, we encourage you to either join us in person for Sunday morning worship, or to find and commit to a local gospel-centered church community in your neighborhood. Thanks.